your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. Hebrews, chapter number 10, I want to begin reading in verse number 32. Hebrews 10 and verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured in a great fight of affliction, partly while ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion on me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him." But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I wish every member to some extent could understand the difficulties of a pastor in trying to, in trying to feed the sheep. Uh, we think about the needs of a church, how numerous they are and how varied they are. And sometimes how difficult it is to figure out, you know, uh, exactly what you ought to preach. As Charles Spurgeon said so many years ago, and they had a preacher's college there, in fact, there in the church there in London where he pastored, and he said the most difficult part of preaching is figuring out what to preach. After you figure out the what, the rest of it is fairly easy. And, you know, the older I get, the, the more I realize the wisdom of that statement. Uh, what to preach? There are some folks, you know, that believe that every service ought to be uh, lean heavy toward the evangelistic side. Uh, they, you know, and naturally they do that out of a deep concern for souls being saved. But in reality, that's not really what the Bible teaches about the assembly, you see. Now, certainly as a pastor, I want to see people saved every service. That'd be wonderful. But my main job is to feed the flock. That's my main job. You see, the Bible never commands the sinner to attend church. Never. But it commands the church to go out and take the gospel to the sinner, right? So we get it so backwards sometimes. And so preachers feel this pressure on them to conform to, you know, preach certain kinds of messages in order to, you know, naturally you want the people to, to be happy. You want them to like the message. You want them to come back and all of that. And sometimes... We catch ourselves maybe caving into the desires of the people instead of discerning the mind of God in what we ought to preach. That might not sound like a big deal to some of you, but it is. You see, any preacher could stand up here and preach nothing but the truth every service. 
and yet never communicate to the what God wants them to hear. Now, I'll get to the message in a minute, which isn't the message I intended to preach, is why I'm saying all of this. Because all week long, I've, I've known, <laughs> in my mind at least, I've known Sunday morning I'm going to preach a message called Come to Jesus. That was, that was going to be the message. And just within the last 30 minutes or so, I'm impressed by the fact that instead of preaching the message about come to Jesus, I'm going to preach about the coming of Jesus. Now, there are so many times in trying to figure out what we ought to preach that we, you know, we, we either reduce it down to what the people want to hear or maybe it's what we enjoy preaching and the message never gets out. Now, here's the problem. There's so many times we preachers are guilty, we pastors especially are guilty of assuming that everybody in the congregation believes what, what the church does. And it took me a while to realize it's not always like that. Because a lot of times, and it happens all the time in every church, there will be a member that will leave the church, maybe a long-standing member, been here, you know, 15, 20 years. And so for some reason, you know, they decide to leave. It might be they moved and they go to a different church somewhere. And all of a sudden, they join a church that is absolutely, totally different than this church. And when I say different, I don't mean just in the selection of the music. I don't mean just in, you know, some minor details. But I'm talking about in major doctrines. And you scratch your head and wonder, how in the world could this happen? I mean, look, we've had people that I'll guarantee you, they would have gone before our deacons and asked the deacons to bring it before the church to get rid of me if I'd started using anything other than the King James Version. And I wouldn't blame them for that. But then they leave this church and go to a church where they use anything and everything. You know, it's kind of hard to understand. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this. Sometimes we just assume that everybody believes in the second coming of Christ. We just assume that. And back when I started preaching almost 52 years ago... It, it seemed like that's what everybody was talking about. There were entire radio broadcasts, daily broadcasts devoted to that subject. One book on prophecy after another was being written, and everywhere you went, you heard about the second coming of Christ. Every revival meeting, I'll guarantee you at least one night of that revival meeting was going to be dedicated to prophecy. Always. That's just the way it was. And now we live in a time to where hardly anyone is speaking about the second coming of Christ. And you know, I can understand a lot of people that have never been taught, and you go to talking about trying to describe the second coming to Christ, the rapture, you know, that suddenly He's going to come in the clouds of the air, the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be called up together and meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I'm kind of like a little Chris Cantrell when I first started teaching and he was a little boy in my junior Sunday school class and 
he, he said to me, he said, Brother Stone, he raised his hand, interrupted the lesson, said, Brother Stone, I, I, I know who I sure wouldn't want to be, you know, whenever that happened. And I said, who, Chris? He said, I, I wouldn't want to be one of them grave diggers out of the cemetery out there, you know. You, you see, all of this seems so far-fetched. Now, the same people that think it's really far-fetched, extreme, that all of a sudden the rapture is going to take place, and just picture in your mind, all of a sudden, every Christian in this building, gone. And nothing but unbelievers left. Picture a plane, the pilot and the co-pilot are both saved, and everybody else on the plane isn't, and that plane's going through the air, and all of a sudden the rapture takes place. And both pilots are all of a sudden gone. Just something about that is difficult for the natural mind to believe. But I want you to know it is really true. And here we find in our text, verse number 37... Where he says, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now I want you to notice what the writer does as he leads up to this thought. He does three things in verse 32 through verse 34. He calls their attention to the past. And he's pointing out that although they were saved, they had suffered. And although they had suffered, they had remained steadfast. And he's describing their wonderful attitude and their bold determination to keep serving God regardless of how difficult it got. Then secondly, verse 35 and verse 36, he calls their attention to the, to the present. He's encouraged them to be patient and confident, reminding them that God has promised a reward for those who are patient. And then we come down to verse 37 where he calls their attention to the prospect. And the point is, as believers, the prospect of our glorious future helps us to bear up under the present burdens of the life that we live on this earth. And we need that. Because sometimes we're prone to cave in to the pressure. Sometimes we tend to give up in the middle of the fight. Sometimes we grow weary and just feel like we can't go on. You know, we just uh, we don't see any purpose in it. And so all of a sudden we become a casualty, a dropout. And that's why we need to fix our focus on the future concerning the coming of Christ. Notice, first of all, yeah, three things I want you to notice in this verse. First of all, the confirmation. Notice the phrase that says, He that shall come. This is a confirmation. I say it's a confirmation because this same thing had been prophesied by the prophets. You go back through the Old Testament and, and the Bible tells us that Enoch saw him coming with ten thousands of his saints. Moses saw him as the coming prophet. Job saw him as the resurrected redeemer. The psalmist saw him as the king of glory. 
Isaiah saw him as the mighty God. Jeremiah saw him as the bomb of Gilead. Daniel saw him as the stone that was cut out of a mountain. Joel saw him as the judge in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Micah saw him as the provider of peace. Zechariah saw him as the wounded Savior appearing to Israel. Malachi saw him as the son of righteousness who arises with healing in his wings. You see, all through the Old Testament, those ancient prophets had spoken about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when He does come, we find that Jesus Himself promised that He would come again. John chapter 14 and those first three verses. Remember, He told the disciples, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, you know, it's one thing to have, to have the, the prophecies of the prophets. It's another thing when you have the promise of the Lord Himself. Because you know that He can't lie. Then we see it was predicted by the angels. There in Acts chapter number 1, there on the day that our Lord ascended back into heaven, and the angel said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that you see taken up in heaven shall come again. And then we look through all of the letters of the New Testament, and each and every one of the apostles preached about the coming of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. We find a confirmation of this in this verse. He that shall come. That's emphatic. It means it's really going to happen. And that brings us to the certainty of the confirmation. Notice the next phrase that he that shall come, notice, will come. We, li we live in a world of uncertainty, don't we? We think about the state of our economy, you know, and we think about, well, it, boy, it's getting better, and, and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and what we sometimes forget is all of that can change overnight. With the drop of a hat, totally unexpected, we can find ourselves in dire need because our, our economy is uncertain. The security of our country is uncertain. I mean, we have the mightiest military fighting force on the face of this earth, and yet, and yet there is a certain amount of uncertainty in all of it. The strength, the strength of our own health is so uncertain. Now, there's so many times that somebody will live 60, 70, maybe 80 years and able to say, you know, I've never been to, in the hospital a day in my life. I am just so healthy. I was telling someone earlier, I listened uh, to a, a video clip of George Beverly Shea at the age of 103, singing How Great Thou Art. At 103. But remember this, your health is uncertain. Any day, all of a sudden, you could get the news that you're dying. I mean, I mean, it could all be over overnight, you see. So we live in this world of uncertainty, but God's Word has never failed. 
First Kings chapter 8, verse 56 says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto His people Israel according to all that He promised. There hath not failed one word of all His good promise which He promised by the hand of Moses, His servant. It has never failed. Jesus assures us it will Never fail. Matthew 5, 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth shall pass away, one jot or one till shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. You see, as Paul said to Titus, In hope of eternal life, which the God that cannot lie promised before the world began. We can be certain that the Lord is coming. And here we have the confirmation of this glorious certainty that Jesus is going to come again just like He said. He that shall come, notice, will come. And here's the comfort in it, He says, and shall not tarry. And shall not tarry. There's comfort in that because there is no deception whatsoever. No deception As I said, God can't lie. There can't be any deception in this. He that shall come will come. Whether you believe it or not, He will come. Whether we preach it or not, He will come. There's no deception. And and by the way, and we so many times hear people say, well, if the Lord, if the Lord tarries His coming, you know, in other words, if He, if He delays, let me tell you, He's not going to be a second late. There's going to be no Delay. Look in Second Peter chapter number two for just a moment. Second Peter chapter three, rather, verse number eight. If you look down at verse three, you don't need to do that, but I'm just going to bring you up to date here. He talks about those scoffers walking in their own lust. And they say, you know, since the fathers fell asleep, you know, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, you preachers keep talking about the Lord's going to come. The Lord's going to come. And He hasn't. You know, it's kind of like, don't you owe us an apology? And notice what He says. For for this they are willingly are ignorant of that by the Word of God and the heavens were of old and the earth by the world that then was being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They said everything has continued like it's been since the creation of the world. And the writer says, wait a minute, what about the flood? Are not the same because God took note of the sin in that day and God brought judgment upon this world in that day and He's calling their attention to the fact that God is true to His Word and God is not going to delay. He's going to be right on time. And the only reason it appears to us that 
that God might be a bit late is because with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. But what is it that God's waiting on? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, you see. But there's a hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And one of these days, sinful man is going to cross that point of no return and the Lord's going to come. And for those that have heard the gospel, it'll be too late for them to ever be saved. Now, maybe you're here and you're not saved and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but Brother Stone, if that happens, I'll remember what you said and then I'll get saved. But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible says you will believe the delusion, the, the, the lie of the Antichrist. You see, there's going to come someone on the scene that's supposedly going to have an explanation. He's going to tell you the reason, supposedly, why all of these Christians just vanished from the earth. And, I, you know, whatever it, whatever it is... Those that are unsaved are going to believe that lie and be damned as a result of it. Let me assure you, there will be no delay. There's no deception. But there's also no disappointments. His coming is going to bring, for one thing, relief, relief from our suffering. We have so many people. Bev and I talk about it all of the time. You know that we, we we look around and see members of our congregation that are getting older and going through difficulties. And there's so many people right now here in this auditorium that are hurting. I'm talking about physically, especially physically. They're in pain right now. They're here, but they're in pain. They'll go to bed tonight hurting. They'll get up in the morning hurting. They're suffering. Thank God there's coming a day whenever we'll be relieved from all of the suffering. Amen. No suffering anymore. No arthritis and rheumatism, no cancer, no heart disease. All of those things will have passed away in that glorious day. Relief in our suffering, but there will be rewards for our service. And so many times as we busy ourselves in serving the Lord and we think to ourselves, you know, we're just not seeing all of the results that we would like to see. And no, we never will see as much as we want to see accomplished. That's, you know, it's just kind of the way that it is. But it's not our job to make things happen. It's our job to be faithful. That's our job. Just be faithful. You, you, you see, you know, I can preach the Word, but I can't bless the Word. Only God can do that. But our labor in the Lord is not in vain. There's going to be rewards for our service. There's going to be a reunion with the saints. Remember he said, the, and somebody asked one time why Paul said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, it's because they got six feet further to go. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive.
be with reunion with the saints. That's why we keep saying God's people never meet for the last time. Thank God there's coming a great reunion one of these days when all of God's children are going to be gathered home. We'll get to see those loved ones that have gone on before. And I'm not talking about just, you know, members of our family that have died in the Lord. I'm talking about, oh my, I look out there and see your faces and all of a sudden it starts bringing back memories. That's what happens whenever you stay in one church over 30 years. Your mom and your daddy, they've already died and they've already gone on. Your grandmas and grandpas, they were faithful members of this church that could be depended upon. And thank God one of these days we're going to be reunited with those loved ones. Amen. That's, look, that's something to shout about. And then there's going to be the revelation of the Savior Himself. Wow. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, to be able to see Jesus as He really is. We, you know, the artist has tried to capture His likeness on the canvas and the sculpture has tried to capture His likeness in the clay. We sing about Him. We write poems about Him. And, you know, our imagination just runs wild of thinking what He really looks like. And in that day, we shall see Him as He is, John said. What a day that's going to be when we see the Lord. And think about the rejoicing because in that day it's going to bring an end to all of the mysteries, all of these things that we've tried to, we've tried to figure out. The things that are so confusing to us now. And I can assure you when you stand before the Lord in that day, God will not have to apologize for anything He has ever done in your life. Oh, I know at the present, it, you know, it kind of seems unfair. You love the Lord and you've been so faithful to God and, and, and all of a sudden it's like God just pulled the rug out from under you and fell flat on your back and, and this kind of seems unfair. But in that day, in that day, you you'll see the reason why. And that's why for now, we don't need to know what the reason is. All we need to know is there is a reason. He that shall come will come. And the only question is, is would you be ready? Now look, folks, there's a lot of people that would basically agree with everything I've said they would, they would agree that they believe that the Lord is coming, and yet, and yet all of the evidence indicates they do not really believe that at all. And I say that because John the Apostle said, and every man, you could say every man, woman, boy, and girl, every person that hath this hope, and he was talking about the coming of the Lord. Every man that hath this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Living in the light of the reality that Christ could come at any moment. And he could. That's what the Bible teaches. He could come any second. We don't know 
We might never get to the benediction. We might never get back here tonight. We just don't know. And God hasn't chosen to give us that information. We don't know. Only the Father in heaven knows that. We can't know the exact moment of His coming. But we know this, that if we really believe that like we claim we do, it makes an impact upon the manner in which we live. And for some folks, it's just, you know, even though they say they believe that, they live a life as though God is dead. As though they'll never have to give an account for, of themselves to God. Without any consideration for what God desires for them. And let me tell you, that's something to worry about. The very reason some people doubt their salvation is because they've got reason to doubt. And I'm saying all of that to say this number one on the list of how this truth should affect us is that you need to be sure of your profession. You need to be absolutely certain that you know Christ is your Savior. He that shall come will come. Are you certain that you've been born again? And don't give me that old nonsense about, well, you know, preacher, I don't think anybody can really know for sure because John said, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And if look, if you don't know that beyond any shadow of a doubt, you've got a serious problem. And you need to deal with that this morning. We need to be separated in our living. We need to be sincere in our loving, silent in our complaining, systematic in our giving, steadfast in our service, sound in our doctrine. We need to get serious about our witnessing. The Bible says in the day that the Lord comes, there will be two in the field and one will be taken and the other left. There will be two in the bed and one taken and the other left. Think about that. A husband and wife go to bed at night. She's saved and he isn't. And the rapture takes place at that moment and all of a sudden she looks over there or he looks over there and she's gone. He doesn't have a clue what's going on. She's just gone. He runs to the nursery and the baby is gone. He's home alone. And let me tell you, if you think I'm just making all of this stuff up, you need to read your Bible. You say, yeah, but preacher, like you said, it seems so far-fetched. Let me tell you, we have created a God in our own image in that we have we have stripped Him of His supernatural power and we forget that the supernatural is natural with our God. He can part the Red Sea. He can bring His children through the fiery furnace and stop the mouths of lions and cause the walls of Jericho to fall down flat. You say, yeah, but I just can't understand it. You don't even understand how radio signals work. Neither do I. Some guy talking on the microphone a thousand miles away and sending that message out in the airwaves and they're bouncing off of this pole and that pole and, and, and all of a sudden you pick up your cell phone and 
and, and talk to that right now. I don't understand that. Kind of like one preacher said, you know, I don't understand how brown cow can eat green grass and give white milk, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to quit drinking milk and just because I don't understand it. No, I don't understand it either, but I believe it. I believe it because the Bible has confirmed that fact. We need to get serious about our witnessing to others and surrender ourselves to the will of God and seek every opportunity possible to tell others about the coming of the Lord. That was the watchword of the early believers in that day. They'd greet one another and they would do so with a recognition of the fact that he that shall come will come. You see, that, that's what they were looking forward to each and every day. And in Second Corinthians chapter number 4, when Paul talked about the struggles and the difficulties of life, that's exactly what he had in mind when he spoke about not looking at the temporal things, but looking at that which is invisible, looking at that which is eternal. It's no wonder we'd get depressed if we just keep our eyes on a horizontal plane. But boy, when we look unto Him who is the author and the finisher of our faith, oh, listen, that's what makes a difference. He that shall come will come. Would you be ready? If not, you can get ready this morning by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that while we stand together? Brother Nolan's going to come. We're going to extend an invitation this morning. And we want to encourage you to come. And maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, I've got some questions. I don't understand all about it. I've been preaching almost 52 years. I don't understand all about it either. I never will. You don't need to understand all about it. Let me tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so simple that even a child can understand that. There's no reason for anyone to leave here today without a saving knowledge of Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, this morning, we thank You for this glorious truth that our dear Savior one day will come in the clouds of the air and we'll be caught up to meet Him, reunited with our dear loved ones that have gone on. And there to spend all of eternity in the presence of the one that we love most. And Lord, I just pray until that day comes, you'll help us to be faithful about your business. Help us to be sharing the good news, the glorious gospel with others. And Heavenly Father, for the one here this morning that's never been saved, may this be the day. I just pray you'll break down every barrier, remove every obstacle. And may the Spirit of God work upon their heart, drawing them to the cross that they might be saved. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as we sing together, would you come? 331. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide.
glad that he made room for you. The vilest of sinners, whoever you are, whatever you've done, he made room for you at the cross. Though millions have already come, there's still room for one. That one could be you, my friend. You know, I'm just really, as we'd say back in the Ozarks, flabbergasted, amazed. You know, we can go to a ball game and we can shout and scream until we're blue in the face and so hoarse that we can't talk the next day. You know, it kind of reminds me of a preacher several years ago that was preaching about the suffering of Christ. And he looked out on the congregation and just, there were some writing notes, some whispering one to another, just some with just that blank stare, you know, on their face. And so he got an idea and suddenly he began to make up a story about an old shepherd dog trying to protect the sheep. The wolves came and that old shepherd dog went out to run the wolves away and they attacked that dog and nearly killed it. And he described how that old dog, so faithful to the dear shepherd, struggled and crawled to get back to the shepherd. And when he got there, he just lay his head in the shepherd's lap and as he described the suffering, he looked out of the congregation. The people had their hankies out and they were wiping tears from their eyes. And all of a sudden, the preacher began to scream as loud as he could, get out of here, get out of here. I, I don't ever, ever want to see you again. Just leave. Just get out and don't come back. Well, they did. He said, I've tried to describe to you the suffering of Christ. You were writing notes, talking to one another. Nobody shed a tear. And I make up a story about a dog. And all of a sudden, you're crying over it. Just get out and don't even come back until the cross means more to you than that. Well, they left. Service is over and the pastor and his wife went home and the pastor's wife said, Honey, what in the world have you done? He said, Well, I don't know, but he said, I just felt led to do it. And so they went back that night and nobody was there. Finally, finally, one old man, I think a deacon maybe come in and he just came in quietly sat down. And then slowly, one by one, they begin to trickle in. And to make a long story short, that night, that church experienced the greatest revival that had ever gone through. Hearts were, were broken and lives were changed. And I've said all that to say this. Let me tell you, the Bible describes what I've been talking about as our blessed hope. And i got to tell you, I don't get the impression that we are that impressed with it. I'm sorry. 
And I think if we ever get excited about anything, we ought to get excited about Jesus coming. If we ever get serious about serving God, it ought to be the fact that Jesus is coming. And I just hope and pray that you'll, you'll leave here today knowing of a certainty, whether you believe it or not, the Word of God has given us the promise that He that shall come will come. And when He does, that day of opportunity will be over. And whatever it is God would have you to do, don't delay it another day. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. You don't have any promise of tomorrow. Thank you for your presence today, and we I hope you'll come and be back with us tonight. Brother